Bradley Then and Now, exploring the college archives in conversation with our community. So welcome everybody, it's lovely to see you here this morning. Um, today, in the next of our series of Bradley Then and Now virtual archives events, we're focusing on the archive material from the Don's Plate over the last 100 years. This is ahead of us celebrating the centenary of drama of Radley College next year in 2024. Today, we're going to travel back in time to 1923 when the first Don's play established the Radley Institution. And so began 100 years of truly bad puns and jolly dodgy costumes. So now I'm delighted to be able to introduce our speakers today. As usual, we have our wonderful archivist talking, Claire Sargent, and she will be joined by Hamish Ed, retired Radley Don, who has featured in many a Don's play in his 50 years at the college. We're also lucky enough to be joined by our head of drama, Victoria Buse, who is putting together the next Raddy Don's play, which is due to happen on June the 18th, so one for your diaries. So Claire, without further ado, I'll hand over to you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this talk. It's one of the very strange things that although we're celebrating a centenary of drama next year, that is actually the official founding of the Radley College Amateur Dramatic Society, which was uh, Oyster Boyd and Charles Rinch working together to set that up. Actually, the Don's plays officially started the year before. So 2023, 1923 is the first time that we actually see a Don's play in Radley. Before then, of course, there was an awful lot of parlour entertainment, boys on stage, dons on stage, mixing it up with uh, musicians and everybody taking part in, in very much that Victorian music hall entertainment style that was done. And there are one or two bits of uh, the Radley history there, for early drama, which we now keep quietly suppressed and don't put photographs up of because of what it includes. But in 1923, we get the first moment where at an All Saints, Old Radleyan Day, we have just the Dons performing something for the pupils. And this is a complete reversal in, in roles. And it's what we're going to be looking at and seeing all the way through. This idea that your teachers aren't taking part alongside pupils, but they're actually just standing there on stage, performing, showing what they can do to the boys for the entertainment of Old Radleyans coming back. And this was such a hit that for the next 40 years, from 1923 to 1963, there was something at the All Saints OR Day every single year, right the way through the Second World War, right the way through the Depression, through changing attitudes in the 50s and uh, early 60s, and so on. So we're going to explore some of those. So Caroline, do we want to move on uh, the screen? So this is the kind of thing you were getting as a program cover. This is printed by St. Peter's Press, and I've had one or two things in from people showing uh, some of the work that they did as boys, printing uh, material for the Don's plays, for uh, RCADS, and actually for the marionettes. Uh, and we will uh, later in the year do something about the marionettes as well, which I know a lot of you were involved in. So it's just absolutely plain. The same sort of logo that's used on the old Radley, on, on the Radleyan magazine, on the calendars, doesn't say anything except here we are, 
Bradley College, we're going to do this. So we can carry on. By the 1930s, we're beginning to move into some very, very bad puns. So this, this word master's piece tends to come up time and time again. And we're, we're using a little bit of French, Les Dons Amuse, vintage 1935. And you see, they've actually moved on to two days of performance, the first and the second. So it's becoming a really serious thing. And we're beginning to get now artwork. And one of the things that comes through from all of these programs is they're really picking up typography, drawing, and so on, of the time in the 1930s. So these things are absolutely of the minute. And they're actually giving us a history of, um, of productions just through the Dawn's plays. And here we are. We're still using the French. And really, this is what you could call the slogan of the whole of the Don's plays. This is Radley. This is what Radley does, this very strange uh, event. Again, two days of it. So if we go on again, we get to Delice des Dons. And you kind of get this, this, this playfulness all the way through of, of what is happening with them. So we're coming up to the, um, to the Second World War. And all of these programs are for individual sketches. So they will have had two or three people taking part in a two or three or four person sketch, a few people doing a song and dance. But the whole point is that it is only the Dons and it is always adapted and topical. And tour, this is the sort of thing that we're doing again, isn't it, uh, this year? Yes, we are, um, look, we've got a series of sketches and um, they will vary from uh, music to drama to comedy, um, but it's sort of little snippets of previous pieces that have been performed here. Um, and also um, just some in line with the kind of skit approach that just has a bit of fun in it. Lovely. So it's still, uh, it, it, it's, it's still alive and kicking. And certainly in all the time that I've been here at Radley, one of the things that's been mentioned all the time is, is the Don's plays. The number of uh, Dons who are new Dons who immediately get uh, indoctrinated into the idea that there might be a Dons play, something is going to happen. So the boys don't necessarily remember it as much because obviously within their five years, there might not now be a Dons play, but the Dons certainly have this as an idea. So let's move on again, Caroline. And these are the earliest set of photos that I've got, and it really establishes exactly what we're looking at. This was a group of photos that was sent um, from South Africa by the family of Theo Cox, who was subwarden and who was, I think, the sea social tutor. I have to check what Theo is doing. Claire, I had to um, take to him um, a, a copy of um, the Don's play. I think, it, I think it was Peter's Panto. Right. Because I think it was just after that. And, and he was in a nursing home just down the road on the Thames. Mm -hmm. And um, he was so delighted to, it was one of uh, Peter Way's ones, and he was so delighted to receive it. There he was in bed. And um, that was the last time I saw him listening to the Don's play. Theo. Thanks. 
processes. Excellent. And and here is here is Theo going back. We've already got uh, an awful lot of cross dressing which is going on. Uh, and one thing to remember all the, all the time is that in terms of the staffing structure, of course, all of the dons all the way through up until about 1990, um, we don't have women dons. Uh, we've got uh, women who are matrons, we've got wives on site, but the people on stage are all and always the men. So they had an awful lot of cross-dressing, a lot of playing around, but this is the earliest. So yes, please do feel free to put questions on the chat, to come in if you remember anything, anything about anybody who appears on screen and so on. So Caroline, let's move into the 1940s. What we end up with now in, from uh, the 1940s onwards, and again, this is right at the height of uh, the Second World War, the start, uh, Eastbourne College are here, uh, evacuated to the school, but still you've got this, this unifying action by Radley Dons. And what you have is a series of pantomimes. These are totally written by Theo Cox uh, with all the music composed by Seddy Borney, uh, who is the uh, presenter at the time. And uh, Seti's family did donate to us all of the scores. So we've got all of the scores and we've got most of the scripts for these. And this is the whole series of Dick Whittington at Radley. So now what you're getting, so little um, sketches being done by a few people is ensemble playing. Everybody in, uh, in, in the staff who can possibly be involved in this is there on stage at any one time. And uh, this caused us some problems when we were looking for the production that we want to do now uh, is that we said, uh, uh, I blithely said, well, I'll look through and see what we can find. You're back again, you'll pop it on. <laughs> uh, I'll look through and see what we can find by way of the scripts and something that we can actually perform as um, a, a piece of heritage drama. And actually the, the scripts obviously are full of topical jokes of their own period, but they actually they also include vastly larger cast for each piece than we actually had. So we're doing things with two, three, four people. And we, so we couldn't actually reproduce anything. But you end up with all sorts of really bad puns um, on this. So the Dick Whittington at Radley series of pantomimes, which will be really, really remembered by anybody who was there at that time with the music by Sadie Borden. Okay. So this is 1945. This is part of the victory celebration based around the actual the coal strikes. So it's a political play, but it's also very much the, um, a parody, a drama, a satire. And it's using Radley. You can see the, uh, the backgrounds there. We've got hands going up, Anthony. Um, you see the backgrounds there, just based on the portraits in Hall. These were very much done by uh, Chris Ellis at this period. And later on, Charlie Bossett was taking part in making sure that the, uh, the, the scenery was right. Uh, and you can see again, people in all sorts of costumes, dons in Radley, rugby kit, in cricket kit, dressed as the nurse, the matron, 
uh, very fine ladies there in furs, flowers, all of those things which are happening. So we're getting a little bit of, of political input as well. And here we are, we've got the folie de la, uh, de la victoire still happening and on, radley on, let's keep going on with this. So we move on to the 1950s. And now we're beginning to get the sort of thing that people might well remember and far more jokes. Things like full moon, the thrilling up to the minute interplanetary atomic adventures and the full sporting program for All Saints Day, 1953. We've been looking obviously at the moment about what did we do to celebrate the coronation? And actually it didn't feature. <laughs> which is really weird. But what does feature is the beginnings of the space race and the beginnings of, um, we've, we've got a, a, atomic things going on and so on, and Don's dare. And we had a quotation came through from Michael Bortry, who was talking about the mysterious place, which I'm sure some of you will remember. Uh, I think, um, possibly Charles Rich, I'm not sure who is saying this, or Oyster Boyd, that he is off to Imazaz. And it was apparently a problem for all sorts of boys of Radley for years, working out where Imazaz is. He's going to go to see Imazaz. Any clues? Any ideas? No? It is him who has him as has done something. Him as has uh, is my husband, that sort of thing. But it became a joke in the 1950s uh, of who is Ibizaz. So we've got, we're moving into uh, really, really uh, things to do with the, um, what's going on in the rest of the world. So we move on again. Starting again to get this typography that's going on, the um, uh, the style of it. People like uh, Chris Vallis again putting in descriptions, and again, and something which is completely of the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got is one of those Jane Russell uh, being presented. How handsome are the Dons of Radley? You have to say. All of them with their cane and their waterboard and their gown. But really an, an image which is straight out of the 1950s. Um, and what I want to know is how much this actually represents the school, whether this is purely fantasy or whether there is a sort of sense that uh, they saw themselves as completely with it, very stylish, young, handsome, and so on. Clary looks like a gent's advert for suiting. It, it really does. It really <laughs> does. I, I, I love the um, I love the little canes just casually held, which is really <laughs> quite something. Uh, and as I say, is that Jane Russell? Who who is the uh, the woman in the middle? Certainly, some major film star. I think. I love the wet rot too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a surprise under the top bit. <laughs> I'm presuming that it's actually a pun on wet bobs, 
right. that's why it's called wet rot, I assume. But there are so many in jokes that trying to actually unravel them, you could if you went through all the uh, all of the scripts, you could create an uh, an entire study of the subculture of the school. Uh, but again, how much it's real, I don't know. So let's move on. Hugh, did you have a question? If you come off mute. No, we can hear you now, Hugh. All right, very good. Just to tell you that the that the uh, during that last last picture, the the figure in the white haired man on top right is obviously Warden Milligan. <laughs> yeah. I, I recognise him. And just another point on your one of your previous comments, Sedi Borney was not presenter but succenter. Ah. Wonderful, wonderful long name, Cedric Hammonds. Jeff's Cheney bought it, a triple-barreled yes. name. A triple-barreled name, yes. He never became present. He was disappointed when Dusek left in about 1952, not to be appointed pre-centre, but, uh, he, of course, Anthony Caesar, A.D. Caesar, uh, mm. took over in 1952, I think it was. That's it, over from me. <laughs> no, well, that's that's picking up a few points there. Uh, Sandy Borney uh, was actually an old Radleyan as well. Yes. Um, so yes, yes, he wasn't. He wasn't present. He was suck center. Uh, but what we're getting here uh, is that uh, by the 1950s, once Anthony Caesar came in, he is writing the music again for these plays, and they're now being done by uh, Rawlinson as well. So we've got Alan Rawlinson writing scripts. We've got uh, Anthony Caesar, and there is one other name. Charles Wrench, perhaps? No, I think Charles had gone by this point. Let me just check. I do that, Claire. There's um, a note from Rod. Surely mm. these are wonderfully topical parodies of Eagle's Dan Dare and Brian Ricks's hit Dry Rot. Yes, very much so. Hello, so, Claire. Yep. Yeah. Zoe Sanders. Yes, hello. I'm, I'm Seti Borney's daughter. Oh, hello. Oh, good. Um, I, I have found in a box um, two recordings of the songs of, oh, of the Don's plays. I'm not entirely sure which plays they come from, but I would be very happy to send them to you. Of course, they are old vinyl LPs, but I know you can get them recorded onto disc. Um, but I'd be delighted to send them to you. That would be absolutely fabulous because we don't have any of the recordings in the school. Okay. So, so that would be a real addition. Would and you be happy also when I've had them digitized, you'll add them to the website? Um, absolutely. And uh, then we can add that as part of our audio collection. I, I have a feeling, I, I think I have heard them, but I think there's much giggling that goes on. Yes. <laughs> Do I send them to you, Claire? Yeah, send them to me. Yeah, okay. That, that would be brilliant. Right, and, and uh, Brian Ricks, yes, Rod, that's a very good call. Uh, dry rot coming through there. And yeah, they are. Can we go back? Don's Dare, yes, Eagle's Dare, all of those things, picking up all of those points which are, which are there. Um, Milligan, must, that must be the first year that Milligan was warden, 55. So he's gone straight into be, being uh, being parodied on the on the Don's play there. So let's move on a little. 
And this was something that we commented on the other day when we were looking at it, this whole word of dig dem dons. And as I was driving in this morning, there was a really interesting discussion on the radio about phrases like dig dem. And uh, the next one, which will come up, which is beakniks. Uh, and the 1960s use of this sort of language. So still very interesting topical work going on. So as we move into the 1960s, these are the, we're beginning to work with Peter Way here, who obviously had heard of these. He'd heard these when he was a boy at school in the 1930s, was take and took them on uh, in the 1960s as something to really keep up. And you were talking, Hamish, the other day about uh, Peter Way's professionalism. Can we just move the slide on, uh, Caroline? Yep, not cricket, two under the eight. We've got people like Ivor Gilliatt taking part in stuff just before this as well. Um, and the next one, and the Beakniks in England present. So we're really sort of touching on things like uh, beat culture from coming in from America. So it's very erudite if you actually think about it, but it's also very much of its time. Uh, Hamish, you were talking about Peter Way's production uh, standards. Well, I think they were, they were very high indeed. And um, his handling of common room was uh, particularly good. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that everything that we acted in would um would be very good on diversity these days or or hugely woke either so um i don't know whether one has to be careful talking about um about these things but um the standard was very high and, and it, that was because of um his his abilities and his nature and um and of course his love of the whole past um of Don's place, the Don's place that he'd been involved in before, but he was he was a very decent artist. He was a, a poet, and um, he was a good writer, and a very good teacher, of course. And as a tutor, he had um, an, at this at the period when he took over producing, which I think was. Um, 69. Does that sound right, Claire? Peter taking that, it. That's, that's the first one for Peter Pan. Well, then at that time, there was um, um, Sandy Nairn, Andrew Motion, John Brigcutt, um, Bill Ryland, who runs the Guggenheim in Venice, um, Mike Richards, the Kansas. They were all in his social. So there was a huge, um, huge amount of talent in, 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 in a social. But, but as, a, um, as a producer and director, he was also very aware of how busy everyone was. Um, Dennis Silk had just arrived, and so we were all working like anything. Um, but he always made sure that the, 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 whole, the whole play was recorded in, in, in chunks, in bits that uh, involved you as a character in as few rehearsals as possible. So instead of everyone being called on to play, very rarely you had the whole cast. It was done in, in sections. And so you'd probably be rehearsing um, individually. You'd be rehearsing, rehearsing perhaps twice, maybe three times a week at the most. That's lovely. 
So shall we move on, Caroline? And uh, we should end up with with uh, a hand, ra uh, hand raised here. Who was who wanted to speak? Oh yeah, uh, Jonathan Cardell. Can you see me? Yeah, yep. I I remember being uh, Goneril in King Lear, which Peter Way produced in sixty two. It would have been because I left in sixty three. Mm -hmm. Joined the Navy. So he must have been producing before 68, 69, or was did he not take over the Don's place till then? But I certainly remember I I'd second what Amy says about his his professionalism as a producer, because the production of King Lear, which he did, was I think very high standard. Yes. Um the Don's plays it's 69, but he was certainly okay. involved with uh RCADS which you would have been doing yeah. King Lear with um, uh, right the way back into the, from when he first came as a Don in the 1950s. Um, there are no Don's plays between 63 and 69, were there? No. There's a five-year gap. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Thanks. Uh, and it's, it's Peter who um, really revived them and said, okay, how do, how do we do this? With King Lear, Actually, one of the things um, that Peter gave me was that the um, the fool had a, uh, a staff, which was made by the marionettes, and Peter gave me the the, the that that uh, piece of prop, and it's actually the only existing marionette that we have. So it is King Lear's fool's staff. Um, if any of you have got uh, Untold Stories, the book, there is um, a photograph of it, so you can actually still see it there. But one of the things we will discuss when we, when we talk about uh, drama next, uh, next year uh, is the Shakespeare, because actually the, the, some of the plays that they put on were incredibly, uh, not advanced, but, but ah, what's the word? Ambitious for schoolboy productions. So both uh, both Boyd and Way doing and and Rinch actually producing Shakespeare to the standard at which they produced it. So if we move on, then um, this thing. is where we start a new career, a new a new story of the Don's plays, because yes, there was that complete hiatus. And one of the issues that uh, towards the end of uh, Milligan's time and. Uh, Dennis Silk arriving in sort of across 68, 69, was that the school was getting much larger or was going to get much larger. Uh, Common Room was still about 45 members or so. I think you said, Hamish, didn't you recently? Yes. Um, yes. So, you've, so you've still got quite a, a small number of, of dons who are actually available to take part in these plays. But you also had the increasing pressure of, inter, uh, of external exams. So you're starting to get things like A-levels and O-levels. Whereas the 1950s up to about 1955, and certainly the 30s and 40s, what you had were certificates, school certificates, higher certificates, which not everybody was actually taking. But once you get uh, the pressure of external exams and the whole school is involved in this, it actually cuts down a lot of what can be done across the school by way of things like the Don's plays, 
there are also complaints from the boys about um, not being able to maintain all of the societies that they were doing. And some of the minor sports were um, finding themselves really beleaguered. And it, it was becoming increasingly difficult to do those kind of extracurricular things that really add to the, uh, to the day uh, and, and to life in a boarding school. And Peter Way, I think, was very conscious of this happening. So here we have the first of his series of original scripts. Uh, he's got uh, Donald Payne is writing the music for these, um, and Andy Caesar had just been writing as well. Um, so we've got Peter Panto. Now, Hamish, you had a starring role in Peter Panto. So if we move on, Caroline, here we are. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in that one. <laughs> Are you not? <laughs> uh, no, no, that's Goldie. <laughs> I know I'm that shape now, but... Uh, Are good. you sure? Surely you were Peter Pan. I you was Peter, Peter Pan, Pan, yes. And is that not Peter Pan? No, that, that, that's uh, a new girl called Wendy, Wendy Winson. At least I think it is. Perhaps it is me. I'm looking closer now. I think it's you're Pete, right. It's actually, Peter though. Pan. It's I Peter never Pan. thought it was me when I've looked through past. <laughs> I don't know whether to hide my face in shame or not. <laughs> <laughs> so we had Wendy Winson as well. Now, you, you had a story for me the other day about your entrance in this play. Yes. Uh, um, Peter Pan comes in, appears at the window in that, the actual Peter Pan. And so I had to appear at a window. And um, uh, in most productions, he's on a wire and flying. And so my first words as I peep through the window to, to the um, surprise and shock of um, Simon Langdale and Richard Morgan. Simon Langdale is Michael Coverdrive and um, Richard Morgan is John Player. Yes, you've got it, a fag. Um, I had to jump from the window onto the top of a wardrobe, which was not too difficult. It was about a foot. But then there was a three-foot leap onto a chest of drawers. And as I leapt, I had to shout, look, I can fly. So that was, that was quite a good um, humorous moment for the... For the for the audience, and um, I think um, Peter was very good at spotting those those possibilities in, in the text, and and look at again as Claire was saying just now, looking at the cast and looking um, at the number of people involved. I think virtually everyone in common room was involved. So there was. What was Tony Money doing? He was arranging the costumes. There were three or four people doing makeup. This is where wives came in too. And um, um, properties, Peggy Gardner and Tony Gardner was um, in charge of the audience, the prompting of the actors. And um, so the, there were those who weren't actually acting and, uh, and there was something like, May 25, 30 acting um, were involved in the in the um, in other areas, and and the effect was um, 
I'm not quite sure what the effect on the boys was. I, th- I think they, I think they enjoyed them. They never sent them up really. They, they, they were w- waiting for what happened next, and that again has to do with the professionalism of how well they were done. But um, bringing dons together, um, um, it, it, it was very successful in that, without any doubt at all. That it, uh, it encouraged, it brought common room together as a group. Is there anybody in the audience who remembers Peter Pan or who would like to speak about the effect on boys? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I can certainly remember. Um, It's Terry Blake. I'm still not, yes, Terry Blake, sorry. I'm still not convinced that that's not Goldie, but I'm sure Hamish knows. (laughs) (laughs) I think I can spot Giles Ridley and Chris Butterworth. Um. Dave the, Fielding, I think. Yeah. Is that Dave Fielding? Yes. <laughs> is Dave Fielding to your your left, Hamish? In, in a kilt. Ah. Uh, oh, right. Yes, of course. Oh my goodness. I think David Flint next to him. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, my word. Yes. 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 And then who's in the middle with uh, doing the jazz hands? Um. Can't spot him. No, I can't either. Should do. <laughs> well, I, I presume these are the lost boys. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yes. So yeah. Simon Claxton was somewhere. David Hardy. Might it be? Yeah, it could be. Michael Claxton might be with a moustache, perhaps. Yes. Can I ask why, Hamish, do you remember why there was a... Um, a hiatus for five years. Was it because you'd gone the Beatnik route and um, Milligan didn't approve or something like that? Well, that that's what I was led to understand, yes. But um, I don't think it would... It didn't seem to be talked about all that much. I think I, I'm not sure why or how it then came back in. I think primarily because... Um, Peter was um, was very keen to get them going again. Yes, now I'm sure Dennis would have been. Dennis too, actually. Yes, I yeah. think he'd have been pro. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I've got um, I've got some letters which Dennis sent to David Hardy after one of the uh, one of the ones that's going to come up uh, now, where he's actually writing to David in character. Uh, about what he what he did in the Don's play, so it's very clear that Dennis was was completely behind them, although he never appeared in any of them. I, I'm talking about costumes. I'm really admiring the fact that that sporran appears to be a painter's brush. <laughs> <laughs> this was the Wild West one. Yes, this is, this is the Wild West one. This is where we're beginning to move into the kind of material where we have to think about what we're actually going to put up on, uh, on social media. So up the totem pole, this is 72. So this is three years further on, uh, again by Peter Way, who doesn't put his name on the front uh, of them, but they're beautifully produced programmes. So let's have a look at up the totem pole, Caroline. Uh, there we are. Now, I think, again, let's do some identifying. Who is I can the recognise the person on the left. <laughs> they didn't often have women in taking part in it, but 
I, I know that old woman. Uh, yeah, that, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> but who who is the glamorous one with the uh, with the blonde curls? Ah, now that's not um, that's not Goldie. That must be Fanny the Blue. That's David Hardy because. Um, uh, she looks a bit sort of wild, doesn't she? It looks <laughs> not quite sure what the word is. And then there's another one over on the right. Is that not Goldie? That's that must be Goldie. Yes. Right. And then we've clearly got somebody who's who's starring as a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and we we've, we've got a uh, what we would now call a Native American chief, an Indian chief. Yes, well, there were, there were a number of them. Yep. Chief Eagle Birdie was Peter Leroy. Could Eagle be. Birdie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't recognise any of the others. Okay, let's move on and see if we can find another. Uh, now, this one you should recognise. That looks like that's in makeup, I think. That's David Hardy again, isn't it? Oh, no, it's Fielding. It's Fielding, Fielding. Yes. I mean, I David Fielding, Fielding, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is, this, is, uh, this is a backstage shot. Yes, indeed. <laughs> much. So this is David Fielding, who was in a great many of the plays. And again, um, uh, David and Sue uh, Fielding recently gave us um, a lot of papers from, uh, from Geo Dave both about teaching geology, but also play scripts and photographs and so on. So a lot of the stuff is out there. Um, so a, something just popped up on chat. Yeah. And, uh, yes. Those famous sideburns. Yes, they're not part of the costume, are they? They're actually... Uh, that's his. They're, that's they're his sideburns. They're genuine. Yes, you could pull them and uh, you wouldn't be pleased. <laughs> I can imagine he wasn't pleased. Yes. <laughs> so a long, uh, shot, long shot on the man behind. Could, could that be Richard Morgan, possibly? I think it might be, yes. Yes. That got could, the right that profile. Could well be. Um, he was um, top scalp slicing iron. <laughs> An Indian. <laughs> I told you we were getting into difficult territory. <laughs> <laughs> Can anyone remember the Festival of Britain play? 1953, that would be. Yeah. Does anybody? No. no. I remember Ivor, it's George Wall Morris. I remember Ivor Gilliatt singing in a most amazing falsetto. It's great amusement. <laughs> Well, I think this is the astonishing thing about them is, is to stand up on stage and do something like that in front of boys that you teach and that you know. I'm just just abandoning um, abandoning schoolmaster's dignity to sing in falsetto just to have this fun time. So, yes, we've got Ivor Gilliatt. Here we've got Dave Fielding. Caroline, turn on. Scotty Burks, that is, and, and uh, someone else. It's Goldie again with uh, with Dougie. No, it's me. 
Oh, it's you again. Oh, my goodness. Goldie's art. Surely that's probably why you're mistaking it. Yes. I was I was his his aunt in this in the Wild West one. He was he was Miss England and and I was um Anne O level. <laughs> Anne or Anne Anne O level. <laughs> so how did Miss England come to have an Irish aunt? What what a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, I think that um, I think the, the the pun or the play on words was too much too much for Peter. I don't think that question was was uh, asked. I didn't have to speak in an Irish accent anyway. Right. So that's Scotty Burks. That's a, a fine figure of a man, Buggy. Really quite handsome. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yes. And these two, and you're reckoning that's David Hardy. I, 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 gosh, I, that's, so what about Baxter Holly, the barman? He looks oh. a bit barman-y, doesn't he? I think that's Baxter Holly who came over from, um, from Australia. And, yes, uh, I think you're just right. for a year. He, he was famous for knocking on um, the warden's door at Christmas and saying, um, can I come and teach next term? And um, common room was fool as it were a bit like a boarding house and he said no but come back in the summer term so baxter came back in the summer term and it had been the just after that that he um that he acted in this and and then he left at the end of the summer he was only over for a year oh uh, and we have um, i still hear from him right a great character a, pro a proper australian but very fond of England too. Uh, we had a question about George Savory, also Jeff Savory. Je Jeff Savory. Jeff sorry. Savory was the medicine man in this. But in the going back to Peter Panto, if I'm allowed to do that, yep. um, he was the matron. He was Miss Scissors, and and he was uh, violently in love with Neil Fisher, who was Mister <laughs> Snarling, the housemaster. <laughs> And uh, the whole play really um, did, didn't really revolve around Peter Pan. It revolved around these these two. Um, and um, Peter used every sort of comedy for that. And the songs were particularly good. I can remember um, Jeff Savory had to sing, Boys are all I have in life, apart from Mr. Snarling. Uh, hope something, hope something, something. Calls me snarling, snarling, darling. Call him snarling, snarling. Yeah, it, it was very, it was very funny. And they were, they were good friends. They, they were both, um, uh, both in the war, war heroes, I suppose. And Jeff spent his time in submarines, and I don't think it, it could ex explain why he was sometimes a bit, a bit short tempered. I remember I was teaching in um, one in one of the um, classrooms opposite the mansion and um, it was rather noisy I wasn't very good at keeping order then and um, he was teaching in the classroom above and he came downstairs through the floor back the door back where I was writing uh, something for the boys and they were all chattering away like anything and uh, so he couldn't see me because I was behind the door and um, 
So he said, what are you lot doing? Who's meant to be teaching you? And all their eyes moved round towards me behind the door. And there was a slight silence. And then he said, oh, it's you, is it? I might have guessed and went out slamming the door. <laughs> Which it was very, very good, very good for my, um, very good for my morale. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it says but so they much. Were, they were, they were great, great as a couple. <laughs> And um, and really, really, they really came back again. Peter, they they were very, very important in that. And and Jeff Savory, who who just died last year, I think, aged a hundred, six months after his hundredth birthday, and um, a, remained a great friend of Peter's. And um, Neil died some time ago, of course. Yeah. Right. And I saw we had a question pop up. Who remembers Poppy from Popper Caterpillar? Who popped the kettle on? Anybody else remember this character? There are so many uh, puns and so on all the way through these. Caroline, we move on. We do have a question from Jonathan. Right. He's, had, he's got his hand up. All right. Uh, okay, sorry. I, and it's another irrelevance, but I couldn't help remembering when Jeff Savory in charge of the naval section at our in annual inspection, we did a jack's day across College Pond. The naval section was the shambolic section of the CCF, and we lowered him gently into the College <laughs> Pond, which lost a few marks for the inspecting officer. <laughs> well worth it. <laughs> so the next one by Peter Way was the case of the compromised question papers. He did a couple which are based around Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and I loved his, his quote, supposedly here, from 50 years at Radley. There were, however, other seeds of decay, more serious than illness, and boys who introduced a new and undesirable element. Mm. Uh, actually, I do recall, if you actually read Singleton's diary, there are a couple of boys right in, the 18, in 1847 who introduced an undesirable element. They had come from Marlborough College and they were returned to Marlborough College within a term <laughs> because they were really not Bradley material. <laughs> so here we've got, uh, and again, you can see how it's expanding. We've now got four days of productions. This is a massive great thing in the old gym to be producing that oh, yes. and, and committing that amount of time evening after evening. So four days. I mean, this this we could just about manage now for the school play. Is that the case, Tor? Sorry, say that again, Claire. I was saying um, four days is a lot of productions, a long time to be on stage. It's 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 only the musical now that goes on for four days. Right. So the school play itself would be uh, what three performances? Three, three performances. Yeah. Mm. So it's a huge commitment to actually take this on while you're teaching as well and in October um, so we've got Peter Way we've got Donald, uh, Donald Payne doing the music and let's have a look at some of the photos from this one now I think that's Goldsmith Chris Brown, Chris Brown is uh, Sherlock Holmes there in the Art and Trues 
Yeah. David Goldsmith, yes, of course, in the long white coat. And on the ground, I don't know. Well, I think that's the mysterious case of the dog in the nighttime. And I think that's John Wiley. Oh, right. Who I think was always the dog in any oh, yes. play that he was part of. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter so we've got Stewart on the right. Peter Stewart on the right, was it, Hamish? Um, it's, it's oh, you lot are all. Oh, is it Dave Fielding? It looks like Dave Fielding. It from, is. I mean, um, look at the um, sideburns of grown. <clears throat> it looks like Peter Stewart's nose, but then I'm... <laughs> Well, let's not overlook the possibility that Dons were all playing each other. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I realise this is, this is very much set in Radley because, of course, it is the compromised question papers. So I played Baskerville. Yes, yeah. he did. We'll come to that one as well. Well, what we also have here are some backstage photos. So we've got, um, we've talked about the wives taking part backstage. The matrons were backstage as well. And what's never really mentioned is the backstage crew of boys working with Jeff Traglown. And here they are. And somebody has written to us about being backstage. Now, I want to know how much this group was sworn to secrecy while they were listening to rehearsals. There was anybody there who was a backstage crew? I was long gone. <laughs> Paul Croson Paul Croson's on the left being made up yes that, that is I, he looked very young there doesn't he he, he does he does Cupid, good, good makeup Cupid <laughs> Stewart in the middle right uh, yes I think that's I think that's right yes and that right. looks like Goldie at the top of um yeah. Of um, the Paul Crayson one in the back. I know that Goldie look. <laughs> <laughs> and Donald Payne next to Peter Way, of course, in the in the one with the boys. Yeah. Very much so. I remember, um noticed Simon Whitworth was one of the one of the helpers back in the um Peter Panto. Mm. Yes, they are all named on the uh, on the programme. So we do have a full record of who's there. We're afraid we have had to say goodbye to uh, Tor Booz uh, because she's teaching. Um, but she did have a couple of questions, one of, one of which was, um, what is your most memorable moment from a Don's play? And we'll come back to that, I think, from all of you. So you can all sit back and think, what was your most memorable moment? And we'll come back to that question. Uh, and so we move on again. And this one I absolutely loved when I saw it, that we've actually got a Don performing as Clock Tower. <laughs> so, so I'm presuming that this is a Peter Way production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. So we've got a play within a play. So we've got the lantern uh, the bottom clock tower as the wall, and then a whole array of dons watching this play. But I thought it was a wonderful 
a wonderful photo. Unfortunately, it's 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 fairly damaged, so we have to clean it up at some stage. Well, they're all recognisable. The ones on the right: there's Chris Brown, then there's Goldie, then there's uh, Scotty Burks, then there's Jeff Savory, and then I'm not quite sure. No, I, David I can't. Hardy. Richard Morgan is in the middle of the middle three, I think. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. And again. Wonderful. And this is where I came in. We had, after Peter Way left in 1989, drama again changed. Uh, and we had Jim Hare, who came to really to professionalize drama. So that was the end both of RCADS and of a number of productions. So 1990, we had, um, they went back to um, Bennett's 40 Years On, uh, produced by Charles Hastings, yes. And then here we have Peter Pan, and again, we've got Charles Hastings. So we're beginning to see a couple of things here. First of all, you've got still the matrons in the background. Uh, the blonde wig is actually Peter Boyden, the assistant chaplain, as Tinkerbell. <laughs> Beside him is Gary Wiseman, who many will remember as Wendy. He shared the role of Wendy with um, Davenport, who you see there on the, on the, on the, uh, the bottom left, um, who went on to become a very distinguished headmaster. Uh, we've also got Andrew Reeks, uh, who played Captain Hook with great aplomb, seemed to bring out a lot of his character. Uh, but we also have Janie Wright as the first time a woman appeared as a woman, actually on stage. And uh, Janie is there as the princess, the Indian princess. So after 1995, what we have are sort of every few years, a play, but they tended to be reviews or material that's, that's well known or short plays, things like Daisy Pulls It Off, uh, The Best Years of Our Lives, that sort of thing. Uh, John Beasley produced a tribute to Peter Cook in 2016, which was the last Don's play that was done, uh, which were a whole series of um, sketches by Peter Cook. And I think one of the things which has not really ever been explored, because Peter Cook was here in those early 1950s, while this sort of thing is going on and being written, is quite what an influence the play, these Don's plays had on his own humour and sketches, because you can see echoes from what's going on in his work. So we move on. Claire, there's what else, uh... There's one figure there was taking a photograph. I think I recognised him, and I think he was um, um, the boy's father, the one who's usually the then becomes the dog. Right. So that, that's you. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I think it is? May I ask, please, no, whether whether yeah. the Peter Cook um, sketches are are on video anywhere? I wonder. They might have been videoed by Max Horsey's team. Yes, they might have been because it was 2016. 
Uh, I know that uh, The Happy State of Your Life was certainly uh, filmed. Uh, I'm in that. I had six words. Uh, but but a ma- uh, you know a massive point. I, I had to make the most spectacular entrance. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got that. So I think that the Peter Cook one might have been filmed by Max, but I've not. I don't think I've seen it. But there may have been question about um, copyright material and whether or not we could actually um, film and use Peter Cook sketches. They, they, his estate are quite strong about what's what can be. Um, reproduced. So we can, we can have a look at that and see. And I think we have the final one. And we're back here. So that really is the, uh, the Don's plays. And we've got several questions that have come up. And that one from Tor, what was your most memorable moment? Can anybody remember? anything particular a moment that really s- struck you i know i had um a few years back uh ted dexter sat on the steps here in mansion held my hand and tried desperately to remember all the words to a song about a hamster <laughs> and I, i've gone through all of the scripts that we have and i can't find anything that relates to hamsters so goodness <laughs> knows what he was remembering but clearly it was a memory for him well, when Ted Dexter was chairman of the England Selectors, he didn't even sometimes know the, the names of the players. He <clears throat> or couldn't remember them properly. <laughs> Dear Ted, I think for me, the, um, the abiding memory or even image was just seeing the Dons for the first time, um, being prepared to ham it up, dress it up. And I think it, certainly brought us closer together as boys and dons for sure just as it did for dons and dons and you know laughing probably at dougie burks dressed up as a woman goldie too no doubt hamish and many others so although i may only have seen about three or four dons plays because of the hiatus um it's just a treat excellent thank you anthony Thank you, Claire. Um, I, I totally agree with Terry on that point. I think uh, I remember the 1963 play um, and it, it felt very unnatural to be laughing, not only with the Dons, but, but at the Dons. <clears throat> and I'm sure it brought, brought us much closer. But I think my, my fondest memory is, is in more recent times, um, particularly John Beasley and David Edwards mm. um, together on stage. Their partnership was absolutely magnificent. And Hamish, you set a wonderful tone um, uh, when you were dressing up as those great lady characters. But I think John Beasley and David Edwards, if I remember, they, they did the same and they were absolutely hilarious together. I remember them both very fondly. Yes, I, I, I remember very much feeling that um, as a woman, there were very few women's parts and all the best women's parts were taken by David Edwards or John Beasley, uh, Jim Summerlee, I think, at yes. one stage. Yes. So quite a few of them. Anybody else uh, a memory that they have specifically of a Don's play? 
I certainly have one memory, which I love very dearly, which was in the middle of the Don's plays when Mr. Rinch sang. And I still remember him as as to this day. Everyone <laughs> else remembers it. I can't sing it anymore, but I try. I, I, I've got one too, if you want another one, Claire. Yes. Um, it, it was in the, the Wild West one that we, Peter had us all um, sitting around a radio. I, I don't know whether the radio is slightly out of, out of time, but anyway, there, there was a radio, and there's, there's quite a long description of a race going on on the radio. So in print, it was about half a, half a page, um, a lot of words, in fact. And one or two of us, actually led by Neil Fisher, started chatting during. We thought it was a bit boring and it shouldn't really, we shouldn't really um, have, have this in it. I mean, really, what was the point? Of it? I don't think we'd really understood what it was doing. And anyway, um, at the end of the rehearsal, Peter would have us all down uh, the front of the stage and then he'd say, well, very, very good, everyone who done Jolly well, just, just one or two little points. But this time he came down, there was a silence, and he said, uh, gentlemen, that was the most self-indulgent performance I've ever seen, and went out, and that was it. So that's my moment I don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hamish. A real, a real sign of his uh, professionalism. You couldn't. You couldn't play around. <laughs> any, any, right. Anybody else? Quite. <laughs> and how anybody good else? we normally were, actually. How, how well behaved we normally were. <laughs> right. Well, I think that um, Sophie Torrance has asked people. She'll be writing something for the old Radleyan as well about the Don's plays. So, if you have memories that you want to uh, drop Sophie an email, we can pull those together. Uh, one of the things that we will be doing, uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, one of the things we will be doing is doing some interviews with uh, with former dons who've taken part in the plays, and there is an exhibition that's going to be in the theatre foyer for the rest of this term. So, if you're popping by the school, let us know that you're coming, and we can take you over to the theatre foyer as guest and to see uh, photographs and uh, programs and so on. So there's going to be a lot going on. Okay, thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Claire. That was absolutely wonderful. I'd really like to extend my thanks to you and also to Hamish, who, again, was absolutely brilliant, adding all these reminiscences and memories from, from the place that he starred in and watched. So thank you, Hamish, and thank you, Claire. That was great. Um, just a quick one to say our next Radley Then and Now virtual archives event will focus on the bicentenary of rugby. In 1823, William Webb Ellis picked up the ball and ran with it at rugby school. Rugby became Radley's official sport in 1914, but it could so easily have been Radley that is played instead of rugby. 12 good men and true instead of 15. Join us next term to find out more about puddings, bullies and squashes. Thank you so much for attending and please enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you for joining us. 
Check our channels for the latest news and events from the Radley and Society.